Hi, welcome to True Creeps, where the stories are true and the creeps are real. We'll cover stories from grotesque gore to the possibly plausible paranormal, to horrifying history, to tense and terrible true crime, and everything else that goes bump in the night. We're your hosts, Amanda, and I'm Lindsay, and we want you to join us while we creep. We cover mature topics. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, everyone. Today is another spooky travel day. We love it. And we're heading to a haunted island. Oh, spooky. It's not exactly an island that you think of when you hear island, right? No, no. I When I think of island, this is not what I think of. Not at all. At, literally at all. It is true. It is true. Also, before we go any further, I'm playing a fun game of is it allergies <laughs> or am I sick? Fun. So I sound real dumb sometimes and I'm so sorry. <laughs> And by dumb, I think she just means like a person who's feeling under the weather. <laughs> it happens, I guess. So Ridiculous. Human? <laughs> Human. Wait, we're not AI? <laughs> Could you imagine <laughs> if we were AI? <laughs> Our rants would hit differently. Sometimes I'm sure they sound like it, because just the places we go don't really make sense. Mm, nothing makes sense. Considering we're, what, three seconds in, and I've already taken this on an AI tangent? You're welcome. <laughs> Also, we went to record, what, an hour and a half ago? Yep. And then dogs came to my door and decided they lived here? You know. They went, this woman likes, they could, they could sense there was a dog lady inside. Mm-hmm. So I had to pause everything. I got one of them. I can't find the other. But there's a dog in my living room right now. I don't know where it belongs, but it's chilling. But <laughs> let's get back to some haunted island, right? When we say haunted island, we literally mean the entire island is said to be haunted. And it's due to the yellow fever epidemic in the 1800s, and then the deadliest natural disaster in the United States in 1900. Damn. The other place that we talked about where it was like a whole area was Plucky, and that felt like it was like mostly just like over time it accumulated ghosts versus like this is concentrated events. Right, right. The whole island. And of course, there are places on the island that have more stories or are said to be hotspots. But many do believe that Galveston, Texas is the most haunted city in the United States. So we're going to talk about its tragic history and then focus on a few hotspots in the area. And so, you know, Galveston Island is right off the coast of Texas, and it's about 30 miles long, and it ranges from about a mile and a half to three miles wide. Again, when I hear island, I don't think Texan island. No, but also this place is somewhere we've talked about before in the past, right, Lindsay? Yeah, because this is actually the southern ending point-ish, if you will, of the Texas Killing Fields. So if you're thinking Galveston sounds bizarrely familiar, it's because we've said it before to you. Or you live in Texas. Yes. Could be that. Either or. Or we are the (laughs) ones who introduced Galveston to you. So we're going to start our discussion about why it's so haunted with the yellow fever epidemics and really talk about those. So... Galveston had experienced at least nine yellow fever epidemics between 1839 and 1867, which is incredibly devastating. Just, that's a lot of loss. So what is yellow fever? It's an acute viral hemorrhagic disease that's spread by mosquitoes, and symptoms usually appear three to six days after they're bitten and would cause things like fever, muscle pain, headaches, shivers, loss of appetite, and vomiting. And it can also lead to a second and more toxic phase that is very deadly. And the reason why it's called yellow fever is because some patients experience jaundice of their skin, which is when their skin turns yellow. Right. So right before 
the epidemic in 1867 hit, Galveston was the largest city in Texas, and it was a shipping and receiving hub for the entire state. And during this 1867 epidemic, they were incredibly unprepared. And that was partially because it hit right after the Civil War. The epidemic hit in late July, and by early August, the city was experiencing 30 deaths per day on average. And when it began, many people fled, but instead of escaping it, they actually ended up taking it with them and spreading it further inland. It's estimated that yellow fever killed 1,000 people in Galveston and around 4,000 people in Texas just that summer. That's a lot of people. Yes, that is a lot of people. So let's move to the horrific storm that this place experienced. And I had known a little bit about the storm, but not on this level. So Galveston was hit by this deadly hurricane in 1900. It was considered to be a boom town at that time. And it was one of the largest cities in Texas with around 38,000 people. So a lot of people on this island. The residents were not really warned about the storm. And they didn't really even know that it was on its way. There wasn't really a way to accurately forecast the weather at that time. And they relied a lot on telegraphs. And so what they would do is they would send their observations via telegraph to the central weather office. And then they'd have to wait for telegraphs back. So nothing was immediate. Also, another reason why they weren't warned is because the National Weather Bureau director blocked telegraph messages from Cuban meteorologists. And they blocked it because there were some ongoing tensions because of the Spanish-American War. And because of all of this, local weather bureau offices had to seek authorization from the central office before they were able to issue a hurricane warning. So everything was just delayed. No one really knew what was going on. It was a mess. This seems like a lot of bureaucratic red tape when you have people's safety on the line, does it not? Yes. When when already this feels like a very inefficient like meteorological system. That's probably not the right word for that. But I mean, I can't imagine that it was incredibly sophisticated at this point, right? No. In my brain, it's like two steps above an almanac, which I mean, almanacs are an interesting thing nonetheless. Right. Right. And we could probably just do an episode on this part of it because everything has changed because of this and like how horrible this was. So the day before the storm, Galveston was put under a storm warning but from what I understand, it wasn't a hurricane warning. So everyone was like, meh, we get storms all the time. No biggie. So the residents only saw reports from forecasters that said that the storm had moved northward over Cuba. And that was on September 4th. So that was all they knew about the big storm, right? So again, they weren't properly warned. They just knew a storm was there, didn't know the magnitude of it. Then on September 8th of 1900, large ocean swells started to appear. And it was along the coast. And then some rain clouds followed. Again, no one was concerned. They get storms all the time. Except, and this part kind of varies with sources, but what we've seen is meteorologist Isaac Klein did issue a hurricane warning that day. And he personally got in a buggy to warn residents that it was coming before he went home to help his children and his wife. He was the Weather Bureau's chief observer in Galveston, and he had suspected the forecast was a little off. But unfortunately, his warning was just too late. And when I said, you know, we have a little bit of differing information about Klein, because some sources do say that he saw the warning signs early, but he just didn't really act on them. And others say that he was one of the people that was taking the warning signs seriously, but just didn't act fast enough. So either way, 
One of them that I read was that he had originally written a piece, I think, for a newspaper. And it was something like, Galveston's totally safe from things like hurricanes. Oh, no. And again, they didn't really understand hurricanes at the time. Clearly. But a lot of people, a lot of people think it was because they wanted the town to continue growing. Oh. So they didn't want to be scary. But again, sources differ with this guy. What really strikes me about this part of the story is that he was traveling via buggy. Right. That's how old timey we are right now is that that's the mode of transportation. Right. Which is also interesting because horses can get scared because they are animals. Yes. And that seems like a less than optimal mode of transportation to be pulling you along if there's a storm. Exactly. Yeah. Either way, sadly... He did lose his wife in the storm, but he was able to save his children. I'm glad he could save his children, but that is very sad that he lost his wife. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about the storm itself. The heavy rains began around noon, and by 3.30 p.m., the water covered about half of the city. And it continued to rise until 8.30 p.m. It was designated as a Category 4 hurricane with winds between 130 and 156 miles per hour. They didn't start till 5 to 6 p.m., which that's almost completely unfathomable, right? Like that, just that speed. Yeah. I would be truly terrified. There was a 15-foot storm surge around 7.30 p.m. And that's when the main tidal surge struck the South Shore. And per the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, a storm surge is an abnormal rise in the seawater level during a storm. And just for perspective, at this time, the highest point in Galveston was only about eight to nine feet above sea level. So that 15-foot surge put everything underwater. Woof. That's horrific. Some eyewitnesses reports say that the water rose about four feet in seconds. How scary. It's terrifying in and of itself as a weather event. But when you consider how helpless those people must have felt, because right, like, what can you do? The water is everywhere. You can get in a boat. And who's got a boat that can handle all of that, especially those insane winds? Yes. Yes. So rain totals in the region were between 8 to 10 inches. And the storm center passed over Galveston around 8.30 p.m. And the wind died down around 11 p.m. The storm destroyed 7,000 buildings and left 10,000 people without homes. The estimated death toll from the storm is between 8,000 and 12,000 lives, which was about 20% of the city's population. Oh, it's a lot. And in the reports where you get to the higher end of that range of 12,000, that might include some of the people who were on the mainland as well. Many people drowned inside their homes while others got caught in the debris. Many had climbed up into their second stories and attics, and then they got trapped when the buildings fell and got washed away, which I feel like is a natural response, right? You just want to go up. You want to get away from where the water's going. Right. But can you get there fast enough? Can your building support it? And even still, if you're thinking of rising water with the winds, you want to be inside, but you're getting trapped. Exactly. So many of the houses along the beach were lifted up from their foundations and then were slammed into other homes. And then that would just kind of repeat over and over again. Others climbed onto their roofs, but then they were struck by flying debris because the wind was so intense. Right. So there was nowhere to go. Like you weren't safe anywhere. There's, there's no solving this. So unfortunately, with that many people dead and because of the heat and the humidity, it quickly created a horrible stench. Oh. So the days after the storm, there's just so many bodies everywhere, right? Like 
people were floating away. People got tossed into the ocean, just everywhere. So all the people had to find things to do with the bodies and how to get rid of them. Originally, they tried to bury some at sea, but then the tide just kept washing them back to shore. Oh, gosh. Horrific. So again, it's hard to tell if all of the ones that were washing on shore were ones that they tried to bury at sea. But people just kept washing up and they're like, well, some could have been from the storm. Some could have been us trying to get rid of them. It was really hard to keep track. But then because of all of it, they had to start burning the bodies. And there's a newspaper clipping that I was able to find. And it said that there was an ordinance passed authorizing rescuing and burying parties to just set fire to wrecked buildings and to burn them along with the hundreds of corpses all over the place. So what they were doing is they were cremating them in funeral pyres just on the beach. I think what's hard about this is that there's no good solution. No. That seems equal parts reverent for the lives that are lost and just the sheer scope of what's happening. Right. And so, like I said, a lot of the bodies were just burned right on the beach where they found them, right? They just made these massive piles. And so that's why a lot of people believe that the beach itself is just haunted. And they see figures and things that they can't explain because of all of this. So there are a lot of eyewitness accounts recorded as well. And they're all so tragic. And there's so many stories about, you know, how loved ones lost their lives and what they were doing during the storm. Some of these will be included in some of the haunted places that we're going to talk about. And when I was reading this, I fell down a rabbit hole. I stayed up to like two or three just reading these eyewitness accounts and just being so sad because there's nothing they could have done. So now that we know what happened, we're going to get into some of the devastating details as to why some of these places are haunted individually and why the beach has a lot of creepy vibes. So the first place specifically that we're going to talk about is St. Mary's Orphanage. And this one I actually heard about when I was in Galveston last year. So I had originally gone to Houston and drove down to Galveston and stopped at the Texas Killing Fields Memorial. And then I headed down all the way to Galveston, and I was staying at this place next to the beach that was next to this place that we're going to talk about, St. Mary's Orphanage. And now it's a Walmart, which is kind of sad. Yeah. And while I was in Walmart, so we got to our Airbnb and we had to run and grab like supplies, right? I'm at the Walmart and I overhear people talking about how the Walmart itself is super haunted. Hmm. So immediately I ran back to the Airbnb, which was directly next door. And Googled why and found details about what happened during the storm to St. Mary's Orphanage. But then when we started researching for this episode, we found so many more details. It just makes it awful. It really does. It really, really does. So where the Walmart now is on the island, it used to be St. Mary's Orphanage, also known as St. Mary's Orphan Asylum. And we think technically the orphanage would have been in the parking lot or where the road slash seawall is. And also, just let me tell you, when we're looking at something that is no longer there and the word asylum is in it, I am very concerned. I've already got bad vibes. But so, again, this is right off the beach. So this wasn't in a great spot during a hurricane. The orphanage was operated by the Sisters of Charity who also operated St. Mary's Infirmary at the time in Galveston. This was the first Catholic hospital in the state, and it was established in 1867. Originally, the orphanage was in the hospital, but they ended up moving it three miles down the road, and that's the location that we're talking about. So the orphanage was comprised of two large two-story dormitories, and the buildings had balconies facing the water. In 1875, the orphanage had a fire. And while there were no casualties, it did destroy a building which housed 12 children under two. Woof. 
so much bad stuff that happened here. Right? During the yellow fever outbreaks, many children lost their parents, so they ended up going to this orphanage. On September 8th of 1900, 10 nuns were trying to keep 93 children alive during the storm. They brought all of the children into the girls' dormitory because it was the newer building, so they thought it was stronger. To help everyone stay calm, they had the children sing Queen of the Waves, which is an old French hymn. And once the water level rose, like many other people, they moved to the second story of the building. Which again, I probably would have done the same thing. Yeah. The best thing that the nuns could think of to do to keep all these children safe was to tie everyone together with clotheslines by their wrist. So the nuns had Henry Esquire, a worker that helped there, help collect the clothesline rope. And just a quick moment for Henry. I've seen some stories that he was overall just so helpful to the nuns and the children, and that the children really enjoyed having him around. Oh, Henry. But each nun had about six to eight children tied to her. So from what I understand, they had it like tied around their waist and then on the children's wrists so that they could keep track of them. So what they did is they took the younger children, and that's who they like tied to themselves. And from some of the sources that I found, some of the older children climbed onto the roof. Mm. So unfortunately, many believe that them doing this hurt more than it helped. One source mentioned that their habits or uniforms were made from wool, which was probably very hard to swim in once it got wet. Mm-hmm. It weighed it down. Oh, yeah. At one point, the boys' dormitory collapsed, and the nuns and the children heard it happen from the next building over. Eventually, the building that they were in did the same thing, and the bottom fell out, and then the roof came crashing down, trapping everyone inside. All of the nuns died in the storm, and unfortunately, only three children survived, and their names were William Murney, Frank Madeira, and Albert Campbell. They survived because they were able to hang on to a tree, and they ended up floating for more than a day. That's so devastating. Yeah. Yeah. And with all the debris in the wind, right? Like you you mentioned that they were getting hit by stuff. The boys were too. So they were hurt. Luckily, they were alive, but they were hurt holding on to this tree. And I found a story that is said to be in William's perspective, but I can't confirm that it's actually him that wrote it or if someone wrote it for him. But they said that William remembered four to five kids holding onto that tree, but only three managed to hang on. It's just so sad. When it was safe to get down, they went into town and told everyone what happened. And William says that they were counting the number of dead people along the way, but they stopped at 109. This next part really fucks me up. It does. So in the the story that I read, William mentioned that the boys said that the sisters were very brave during the storm. Can you even imagine like having this many children who you're responsible for? And it was already an impossible situation, but then you're also in charge of all of these children and trying to make sure that they stay safe. Yeah. When you are likely yourself terrified. So you're trying to keep them safe, but you're also trying to not scare them. Exactly. And based off of where I stayed and where, you know, the Walmart store is now, it's literally the beach and they've built a seawall since then. We'll talk about it. There's a little wall. There's a little road and then the store. So they were steps away from the beach. Yeah. Not in a good area. So in the area, they recovered 100 bodies that were believed to have come from the orphanage, whether they were the nuns or the children, and they all still had rope on their wrists. There's not a lot of information out there on how most of the children were found, but eight of the nuns were found scattered miles apart, and they were buried where they were found. 
some of the nuns that they found were still tied to children. And remember that fact as we continue on today, because it's going to come into play with another haunted place we're going to talk about. Right. And that they were miles away from where they had started. Yeah. Two of the nuns were found across the bay on the mainland, and one was mother or sister Catherine, and she was holding two children in her arms. One of the surviving boys remembered her holding twins before everything happened and promising to not let go of them. That hurts my heart. And in addition to those two children she was holding, she also had six other children tied to her. And we're not sure if the other six kids were still with her, but some sources say that they were. On September 8th of each year, members of the Congregation of the Sisters of Charity sing the Queen of the Waves to remember everyone who lost their lives on the day of the storm, which that's a beautiful way to honor people. It is. On September 8th of 1994, a Texas historical marker was placed at 69th Street and Seawall Boulevard, marking the site where the orphanage was. And again, that's right across the street near the beach from the Walmart. The descendants of William and Frank participated in the dedication, which are you not? incredibly sad now like what a horrible i mean it was already bad this storm was already bad before we got to the orphanage part of it but like i just my heart it hurts it hurts about all this so now that we've talked about the history of what's happened there let's talk about the hauntings that people have experienced yeah so in the walmart store many employees have shared their experiences with paranormal activity and again like the the background is just so tragic and horrible that I'm like, let these ghosts do whatever they want. They own your store. It's for them. I mean, that is their Walmart. If they want to eat all of the pumpkin delights, they get to. Exactly. But what employees have said is toys go missing Ugh. and even pallets get moved. Never been so sad about a ghost, you know? No. Like, <laughs> just let them have the toys. It's theirs. Yes. Some of them have heard children playing when no one's in the store. Look. I can be sad about them and also wildly uncomfortable if you were an employee who had to stock overnight and could hear children's laughter. Yeah. That's objectively very scary. Mm -hmm. Think of closing, right? Mm -hmm. And you're just like putting stuff away real quick and you hear children running around and playing. So other times they hear disembodied laughing. Mm -hmm. Still no. Still no. No one's in the store. Children laughing. I also saw a few um, TikToks that the employees have made of just like them stocking stuff. And, you know, the background's obviously fake of children laughing. And that's just like a norm. I also, though, there is a little bit of joy in this in that presumably these children had a terrible death. But I like that in the afterlife, they're joyful. That's that's kind of lovely. Yeah. Some have also seen apparitions of children. And this one is sad. But one employee saw a small girl crying out for her mother. And in another story, they said that they heard a child crying for their mother, but they could not locate a child. Hmm. Now, this one, also very sad. Some locals say that a nun walks on the beach before a storm, and they believe that it's a warning that a storm is coming. Hmm. In that area. So right outside the Walmart. Yeah. I mean, I would also imagine, though, the apparition of a nun in a full habit would scare the fuck out of me. I mean, there's literal movies about nuns now, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I think it just came out this week. Was it? <laughs> that or it's coming out. Or it's coming out. I've seen teasers all over. So when I said that we stayed very close, we were next door to this area on the beach. And we did have to stop in the Walmart a couple times during our stay. I would say after reading about it, I did have an uneasy feeling, but also it's a very busy Walmart. So I think everyone does. Do you ever not have an uneasy feeling in a Walmart? No, 
now. Okay. I was just wondering, just doing a little baseline test. Fair. But when I did go back to the room and start researching it, I was very sad hearing what happened. Of course. And so we did walk up and down the toy aisles because us being the great packers that we are, we forgot my kids' toys at home. And we had nothing for him to do on the beach or in the room. So we had to go buy a couple small things. And like, it does feel weird there. But also, I knew at that point what happened. So, you know. But our uh, Airbnb had a patio and it faced the beach. So at night, I would go sit out there and kind of watch it to see if anything weird happened. But to be fair, it wasn't very well lit. So it was very hard to see the beach. And uh, the day we left, there was a storm coming. But I didn't see anything weird. I will say, though, I was not a fan of that beach because I got stung by a jellyfish. And now it's dead to you. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Not my favorite. Very fair. So let's move a couple miles away and head to the haunted Grand Galvez next. And after the storm in this area in 1902, as part of the hurricane recovery process, they began building a seawall in Galveston. So it goes along the beach. The seawall was completed in 1960, and in 1910, the Galveston Hotel Company announced plans to build a new hotel because they wanted to bring people back to Galveston. They wanted people to travel and stay there. They began construction the same year, and it opened the next year, so in 1911. It originally had 275 rooms, but later it was reduced to 226 to accommodate the inclusion of in-room bathrooms. Appreciate that. Yes, absolutely. I don't want to share a bathroom with strangers at a place where I'm staying overnight. Exactly. I've done it, but I don't like it. Same. In 1950, there was another hurricane that came, but the seawall helped to protect the new hotel. So throughout the years, the hotel, like many others, has gone through ownership changes, renovations, more hurricanes, more flooding, and has had some famous guests. At one point in history, It was dubbed as the Playground of the Southwest when Galveston was considered the Vegas of the South. It attracted people like Frank Sinatra, Duke Ellington, and Dean Martin. And this one was a little bit interesting. It was a temporary White House for Franklin D. Roosevelt during his 10-day offshore fishing trip in May of 1937. And this meant that the White House staff, Secret Service, and other officials took up the entire fifth floor. Also, Dwight D. Eisenhower, Lyndon B. Johnson, and Richard Nixon have also stayed there. During World War II, the hotel was commandeered by the U.S. Coast Guards, and tourists were not even allowed to have rooms there. And the hotel was used as barracks. And this was just temporary, and the hotel resumed accepting guests again by the early 1950s. Yeah, I didn't know a lot of this about Galveston, and like I had no idea that it was the Vegas of the South at one point. That was news to me. Yeah. But this particular hotel is gorgeous. Like we drove the seawall a couple times trying to figure out like where to get food and what to do. And it caught my attention every time we passed it. When I was there, I had no idea about anything that happened there other than this place was pretty. (laughs) But I did know that they had the ghost tours there. I saw a sign for it, I think, or a flyer or something. But I wasn't there long enough to be able to go. Yeah. So this hotel is so haunted that it has its own ghost tour that you can book just there. And you can book it on their website. So, as always, let's just get into these ghosts. The ghost that's discussed the most is the lovelorn lady, or the lovelorn bride. So, what a name. Right? So, her name is Audra, and she was a 25-year-old bride-to-be in the mid-1950s. Her soon-to-be husband was a mariner who would frequently sail in and out of the port of Galveston. 
While he was gone, Audra would rent room 501 at the Hotel Gavas. And she liked that room because it was close to the elevator. Totally fair. Being on, like, the edge of a hotel when you have to walk through the whole hall with, like, your belongings is mildly annoying. Yes. So she would take the elevator up to the eighth floor and then climb up a ladder to one of the four turrets on the top of the hotel. And there she could watch the ships and wait for her fiancé. So sad. I love Ben. Am I going to climb up onto the top of a hotel to wait for him to come back from anywhere? <laughs> Absolutely not. I just thought it would be less people Like, you could just sit and chill, watch the water. It's pretty. We've been through this. I'm afraid of heights and you are not. <laughs> and that is very clear right here. So unfortunately, after a storm, Audrey was told that her fiancé's ship had capsized and that there were no survivors. Not surprisingly, she was inconsolable for days, and she kept waiting up at that turret to wait for him to return. A few days later, she died by suicide, and apparently she'd hanged herself from the west turret of the hotel. Then, a few days later, her fiancé returned. He had survived, because although his ship had capsized, a passing ship rescued him. And then he learned what happened to Audra. It's very Romeo and Ugh. Juliet, right? That's what came to mind. I was thinking the same thing. Yeah. I mean, it's just, uh, it's so devastating. Yeah. So she is said to haunt the fifth floor of the building. And of course, room 501. People have gotten random chills. There are reports that people have heard a woman walking the halls. And then sometimes they hear her whimpering and sobbing near the elevators. Very sad. Yeah. They hear doors slamming, TVs turn on and off, and oddly, the phone in 501 supposedly rings, but then the switchboard doesn't report that any calls were ever received in that room. Oh, I don't like that. Sometimes lights flicker or they full on just turn on and off, and some have reported feeling someone sit next to them on the bed in 501. So like they're sitting there and then you'll like feel the the mattress go down. Can I tell you how many times I am in bed and I feel my bed go down and Ben is not there and it is not a cat? It is relatively often. My bed is off limits to ghosts. Like that's just Yeah, like me. don't get it. <laughs> we have a king size bed, but it can barely fit the entire Charlie family. Like we've got three cats, a dog, two grown ass adults. We do not have space for ghosts. Also because I, <laughs> as an adult, Squishmallows are very comfortable, so there's an abundance of them because they don't make adult versions of them that look like fancy decorative pillows. I would also point out, though, that if she was upset before she died, can you imagine just the extreme, like, insert negative feeling she would have to realize that he lived? The thing that she, that was so devastating to her that she just broke, right? Didn't even happen. Like, he didn't die. Not that she would want him to die, but ugh. So sad. So housekeeping has seen the lights turn on in vacant rooms. Mm. Don't like that. Mm -mm. Employees have had trouble making room keys, and they can't explain why sometimes. And they say that an unseen force interferes with the equipment. And this one was weird. Sometimes guests have come back with their key, and I believe it was for room 501, saying it didn't work. And when they scan it in the little machine... It reads expired 1955. Oh. Don't like it. And of course, the, the West Turret is said to be haunted by Audra. So sometimes people look up at the turrets and in the West one, they see a light up there. Hmm. But when they go to investigate it, they can't find a source for the light. And just as a note, the turrets have no electrical source. 
And when they go to investigate, they haven't found anything like candles or flashlights. Hmm. Creepy. This next thing just feels disrespectful, honestly. Okay, I'm glad you thought the same thing, because I thought I was just being mean. (laughs) No, it feels not good. Does it feel... It does. It is not patronizing, but like, not great. Right. So last October, the hotel hosted a wedding reception for Audra, and they called it the Ghost Bride Ball. They had invitations, and it was $95 a person. And I thought the thought of it is sort of nice, but I don't like the execution of it. The event seemed odd to me because I thought, okay, they could have like something to honor her or be like, this is your reception that you deserve. We love that you're here. We're sorry that this happened to you. Something like that. Okay. But what they did is they asked people to come dressed up as people from her wedding party and enter a costume contest. And I just didn't think that that was very kind. I agree with you. I feel like it's mocking what was just honestly a really traumatic and sad event. Like, it's interesting that there's a ghost. Right. But like, are you trying to get an angry ghost? I feel like there's also a way of like doing this that feels a little bit more tasteful. Agreed. We've so often talked about ghost therapy, right? Yes. And I think that there is a way they could have done this that felt like a celebration that she was a part of versus being the butt of the joke, right? Because if they were like, come in your most like beautiful, like bridal party attire, that would be time appropriate. And let's play music from that era and eat food from that era and really make it so that it it is actually what her wedding reception would have been. Yeah. Because I mean, clearly she was very, very much in love and very much looking forward to her wedding and likely wedding reception And maybe that is something that will give her closure and help her move on rather than making fun of her pain. Yeah, I agree. It's just something to honor her in a way instead of, yeah, making like a spectacle of her. Yeah. So there are other spirits that are said to be on the hotel property as well, like Sister Catherine and some of the children that she tried to save. Now, remember earlier, we said that some of the bodies were found miles up the beach. Unfortunately, There really weren't great records that were kept about where everyone was found, burned, or buried. But it's believed that where the hotel sits is where there was a mass grave, and that both Sister Catherine and the children she tried to save were buried in that mass grave. There are some reports of a nun being seen on the property, as well as children. And the nun is often seen with a long, dark habit, and she's pacing the southern lawn of the hotel. Which again, nun ghosts, extra scary, especially in the habit. Yeah. She has been seen looking out to sea whenever a major storm is approaching, and they say she still keeps an eye on the spirit children and protects them, and that one of those spirit children is a little girl. She's been seen in the lobby, the gift shop, and the staircase. Sometimes she's bouncing a ball, and that when the ball hits the ground, it doesn't make a sound. Oh, that's spooky. She also slowly fades as she walks, which feels like a very horror movie, horror show kind of vibe. Guests have reported that she's wearing 19th century clothing, which makes sense. Construction workers once reported to the front desk that they saw a little girl playing near the construction site, but they never found a little girl who was over there. That's terrifying. Those poor construction workers. Yeah, they're like, there's a, a child loose. And they're like, no, that's just the ghost children. Cool, cool, cool. Right. So not only have the construction workers heard this and seen this, guests have been reporting hearing children running and laughing throughout the hotel. But they never see them. They just hear it. Some even believe that the kids play piano occasionally. Oh, 
Ghost Piano also is like up there with Rocking Chair for me. Mm-hmm. Fair. But like they make the pianos that can play themselves. That's true. So it's a little less scary to me because like it could be that. And my brain immediately goes, is it one of those first? That's fair. So we're not sure if this is the same little girl that we talked about before or a different one. But people have seen a little girl that plays outside of the spa. Lindsay's favorite. You know I love a ghost spa. I just think of and spa. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She has blonde pigtails and they're tied with a ribbon. She's wearing a white dress with black Mary Jane shoes. And her outfit looks similar to the popular style in the early 20th century. So it could be one of the little girls from the orphanage. Some guests have reported hearing her whisper the word ice cream into their ears as they pass by. Interestingly, the spa where it is now It used to be where the hotel soda fountain and ice cream parlor were before the renovations occurred. That's kind of sweet. It's kind of no pun intended. She just wants her damn ice cream back. She's like, fuck this spa. I want ice cream. She's like, you know what would be nice right now? Ice cream. Like you leave and you're like, I feel so relaxed, but I wish I had an ice cream cone. She's just making suggestions. That's fair. They just need to put like an ice cream cart there. Yeah. 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 Now, even creepier, the spa staff... They often see child-sized handprints along the bottom of the glass door. No fucking thank you. No, no, no. And they clean it off multiple times a day, and they seem to come back. I do hate when we have to keep doing a task because ghosts are messing it up. Children or otherwise, like when they're like, okay, I'm going to like move this furniture, and then the furniture moves. And you're like, I just moved all that. Right. So the staff always say it's the children. When there's any, like, pranks or anything happens that they can't explain, they're like, it's just the children. It's just, it's just the ghosts. But I mean, like, that's a good mentality to have. Also, like, it's good to know that if something happens, you know your coworkers are likely going to believe you. Right, right. They're not going to be like, oh, no, it's definitely not that. Yeah. No, I moved that before I left. Now it's over here. Yeah. So interestingly, people have had encounters all over the hotel. And during the ghost tour, some have been shown photos that guests have taken that they cannot explain. And while the ghosts aren't considered to be harmful or mean, they are thought to be naughty and disobedient, which obviously, right, like they keep putting their handprints on the walls, you're getting a relaxing massage, and there's a child whispering <laughs> ice cream in your ear and you're lactose intolerant. And you're like, stop reminding me. According to the staff, they've also done things like break cabinets full of wine glasses and mess with equipment. I, I mean, I would venture to say that it is in fact harmful to create a glass hazard of that magnitude like that doesn't sound like a good time i just think the kids are like fuck this wine bring me more ice cream i mean honestly fair so there have been guests that checked out early because they were so scared and they also have hanging up in the hotel an image of what people believe to be a ghost and it's a press photo that was taken in 1911 And what people see is a man in front of a set of French doors tipping his bowler hat. But like, I don't think he was there. (laughs) It was just they were just taking a picture of that area. Right. So in the second floor landing facing the lobby, there's a portrait of the hotel's namesake, Bernardo de Galvez. People say that it's creepy and that the eyes seem to follow you as you walk by. And some people have attempted to take a picture of the portrait. And they say that when you do, it shows a skull shaped glare where the face should be. But Saf insists that you have to ask the portrait's permission before taking the photo. And that really reminds me of, was it the Whaley House where you took a photo and you were like, some people think they see a skull here. Like, I kind of see it. Is that where it was? 
yeah, like there's a weird face. Yes, yes. But it's like in a window. Yes. I'd also point out that generally old-timey portraits are in fact creepy. Oh, yeah. But so over the years, the hotel has been featured on several paranormal shows. And there's a, a book by Kathleen Maka that's called A History of the Hotel Gavas, and it talks about a lot of the hauntings. Would you stay there? Yes, absolutely. 1,000%. I don't want to go to the water again, though. Not a fan. Jellyfish hurt. Yeah, that's very fair. I will say <laughs> that I would stay there. But if it was between this and a hotel that offered ghost massages, I would probably go with that. <laughs> um, Because here, when you go to get a real massage, there's ghosts present, which is, I think, not what I want. Like, I want to know it's a ghost massage. I don't want to go get a massage and then there randomly be a ghost okay. whispering about sweet treats that I should be getting right now, you know? I mean, I would be fine to bring some extra ice cream and sit by the spa. That's not weird. And have an ice cream social. It's not fucking weird at all. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> she wants her fucking ice cream. They took it away. They put a stupid spa. Like, I've been that kid where I'm like, why is there a spa there? It should be an ice cream machine. Have you ever gotten a full body massage? No, I don't like the thought of people touching me. See, that's fair. But I will tell you, <laughs> full body fucking massage is honestly the tits. Like, it's so nice. I fall asleep literally every time. Like, literally every time I've ever gotten a massage. And, like, real asleep. I've gotten a deep tissue massage, like, on my back. But I was very sore after. Yeah, I was like, that's a, that, that's a massage where there's, like, work involved. Like, you're not going to fall asleep at that. No, no. Maybe one day. Maybe one day at a ghost spa. Yeah. That will exist eventually, right? Yeah, because the ghost isn't asking you. It's like, I'm just going to go ahead and give you a quick <laughs> rub. <laughs> And you're like, you know what? This actually isn't so bad. The living could do this. <laughs> That's how you'll get introduced. Yeah. Perfect. Love it. So, of course, we want to know, have you been to Galveston? Have you had anything spooky happen while you've been there? And if the answer is yes, we want to hear about it. And we'd love to tell everyone about it in our Podiversary episode that's coming up. And if you send us your story, you get entered in our Spooky Basket contest. And if you haven't seen pictures yet, it is on our social media and on our website. Amanda did an amazing job of curating a beautifully spooky like home decor and like cool little stuff basket. And I want to think it's about what over $100 worth of stuff in there. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of it I would be like buying for me and you and for the basket. Mm -hmm. One of the items both of us bought for each other and ourselves. You know, I also realized in our last episode, we said that we would be triplets, but... When I went spooky shopping, my bestie Damien went with me and he also bought said apron. So <laughs> we'll be quadruplets. And I was going to say, what are your thoughts about including two of them so they can also give one to a friend? Because that sounds exciting. Oh, that's an added bonus now. If you enter our contest, you can be twinsies or no, six tuplets? Will we be six tuplets? Oh, I'm not going to act like I'm a multiple childrenologist. <laughs> Whatever. Six of us will be twinsies. You know, we'll okay? just be a litter of people in this one outfit. <laughs> yes. We'll be yes. a um a troop. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so remember, there are several ways to get your entries. You can enter by sending us a written or recorded story for the Potiversary episode, but you have to get those into us by October 2nd. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You can also get entries by submitting a review on Apple Podcasts. And again, thank you so much to everybody who's already left reviews. It really does help a lot. People can 
find the podcast more easily, especially, you know, we're in spooky season now. And now some people who aren't spooky all year happen to be more spooky inclined. This way you can help people find us. Also, just as a note, when you leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, if you send us an email with a screenshot, we'll send you a sticker. Yeah. And if you've already sent in your info for a sticker for this year, we already have you. So you don't need to send it in again. But if you do leave a review and you want it to be an entry, make sure you email us so we know who you are. Yes. Because sometimes your Apple iTunes podcast name doesn't match anything that we would know otherwise. And for people who have crept up a little bit longer and left us a review before this year, if you recommend us to a friend and they leave a review, let them know to include your name and email address in their email to us, and you'll be able to get an an extra entry. Yeah. Also, if you're a member of our Patreon, you already got some extra entries. And if you'd like to join our Patreon, you can um, check out our website. There's a bunch of different tiers. They start at just a dollar. And since we're talking about Patreon, I'm going to mention it here. Today is the last day that you can sign up for our Patreon if you want to receive our fall card. You have to join at the Fire Yeti tier or higher, which is $8, but we custom design the card every year. So it's a nice little piece of art that you can keep. Um, and it has lots of fun show references in it. Yeah. And we'll post the last two years cards. Oh, yeah. I love that. So everyone can see them because I think they're adorable. Yeah, they are. I say as the person who made them, very proud. <laughs> <laughs> so lastly, Another way you can get an entry is by sharing us in your Instagram stories. Now, there's some caveats here. We have to be able to track them in some way. (laughs) So when you share a story, one, make sure that your profile is public because otherwise we can't see it. And then the other is when you share a post, it will say the name of whomever you share. But unless you tag that person, account, entity, ghost in the actual Instagram post, it doesn't routinely show. Yeah. And we can't repost it. And the way that we're tracking everyone's uh, shares and things like that is we're creating a highlights reel of everyone's Instagram stories where they mention us. So please, pretty please, with a cherry on top, if you are trying to get entries by tagging us in Instagram stories, be sure you actively click the stickers and click like the at symbol and you can tag True Creeps Pot. And that's your Instagram lesson for the day. (laughs) And if you already knew that, I'm sorry, but what a time. I didn't. So (laughs) I'll admit it. I was like, I think this this is how I enter things. Isn't this normal? No, it's not. We had like a 15 minute conversation. She was like, but I thought I've entered so many giveaways. And I was like, I don't know how to tell you that you didn't. Like, I don't know how to tell you. Like, man, I'm really (laughs) unlucky. And I'm like, you're not, I love you, but you're not doing it right. And the only reason I know is because, like, on my business account, I don't know that people are sharing my posts until I'm just like randomly looking through stories and I'm like, oh, I'm sharing a little post. And then I try (laughs) to share it myself and it won't let me because I'm not tagged in it. That's fair. That's fair. Well, special thank you to everyone that has already entered. I'm very excited for someone to get this basket. Yes. Yes. We're very excited. And for our anniversary, we're going on three years. Three years. And we're over 100,000 downloads, just growing more. More people are creeping with us. Yeah. I would say another real, like very random milestone was when routinely the number one state that was listening to us wasn't where we are living. Yes. It feels better <laughs> when it's because it's not our state. We know it's not just like people who we know who are like, I want to support my friend. It's randoms. Yes. We love that. We love a random love it, yeah. and our friends, but you know. <laughs> and we've been sending out stickers lately for reviews. So mm-hmm. thank you. Thank you to everyone that's taken the time to help us out. Yeah. 
We appreciate you all so much. We do. Mm -hmm. And with that, have a good weekend. Thanks for creeping with us. Thanks for listening. And as always, a special thank you to our patrons who support us via Patreon. Please see the link in our show notes to learn more about how you, yes, you, can begin to haunt the dump, guard vortexes, or even become a scorching Sasquatch. Also in our show notes, you can find the link to our website, more information on our sources, our social media handles, and our merch store. We'd love for you to keep creeping with us. So if you like this episode, please subscribe, rate, review, and share the show with your fellow creeps and or ghosts. I beg of you. <laughs> and by early August, don't worry, we started nesting. There was a stern sturm. What's even a sturm? Dwight D. Eisenhower. Dwight D. Eisenhower. I can say Eisenhower. So housekeeping has some lights Amanda. turned on. Tell me how you just went. Housekeeping, like the way that you you said it, is how like when it's like knock knock housekeeping, like how the Did I? housekeeping with the it might be my the end. Nose. But no, it just felt very like housekeeping, like where the end gets higher. Obviously, that's for I didn't the even end. Realize I did that. I know. Or it, it, it caught me off guard. I mean, I was like, Hoop! enough to interrupt you. <laughs> Can I tell you, just very randomly, there was a girl I used to work with. And for whatever reason, I was like, we were friends, but we were hanging out. And she's like, do you mind if we stop by my parents' house real quick? And I was like, sure. And I'm like, in their house. And it turns out she's incredibly wealthy. And like, she's like, I'll be right back. And I ended up standing in this room. And I like turned and I saw that there was like portraits painted of her and her sister. Like true portraits. And I was like, <laughs> huh, people are doing this still. Like they're still getting, and it wasn't like, they had had like a picture and there was like smudged edges. So it looked painted. It was a full ass yeah. portrait that was painted. And I was like, Oh wow. Excuse me. What is this? And she was like, I hate that these exist. And I was like, fair. That's what you're going to haunt one day. <laughs> no, I want that. That's awesome. Yeah. No, absolutely not. Put it above the fireplace. I think they had to sit for them. Billy, they were like children, like children, children. Like, can't they just take a 10? picture and they paint the picture? That would make sense, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it? But you need to be able to capture the essence of that person in the painting. Oh, yeah. I'd, I'd scowl, look real mad. Yeah. I want that around. I want that. <laughs> I need that. Well, isn't there an old-timey portrait of you that exists? There is. I know there is. Oh, yeah. Have you seen I it? I have Where seen it. it from? I don't know. Who made that? And oddly, there's a legitimate old-timey photo of Mike that is not Mike. It's his <laughs> doppelganger. Yes, you need a that is true. doppelganger that is true. episode callback. Yeah. <laughs>